1: And now, the Rathband Tapes. Episode 12 Three Funerals, Several Stories.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to the Rathband Tapes. I'm Tony Horn in Lancashire, England, ghostwriter to the late P.C. David Rathband in South Australia, his twin, Darren. We've been looking at the whole story from start to finish, if indeed there ever can be an end. We've been listening to audio from David that he expressed to me during the writing of his book Tango 190, audio that's remained unlistened to for over a decade but gives some fresh insight into relationships and state of mind, and as we arrive at the end of David's life, those two issues are very much uh, the core. It's Leap Year's Day 2012, it's the 29th of February, last time Darren is in departures at Adelaide, another 30 hour plus trip Home to the UK, to Newcastle upon Tyne in the northeast of England. I'm in bed in the early hours, unable to sleep. I've just received a phone call. And that night, Darren, my phone had visits from people I didn't know, had chosen to keep me as a contact in their phone, but hadn't kept me as a friend. Oh. And of course, some dear friends. And here's a a little story that I don't think I've ever shared. That afternoon, the previous afternoon, I had spoken with a very good friend of mine, a female who is a public figure and a journalist, is on the telly a lot. And we hadn't spoken for a while. And I said something like, oh, I said, it's, been a depressing time now I'm not specifically referring to David I'm referring to events in my life Um, my work had dried up and my marriage had gone south and at that point she opened up about her depression and we vowed to continue the conversation I was at the school gate at the time picking up my kids so I had to go I didn't expect her to be picking up the conversation about three o'clock in the morning, hours later, because that night she was on the duty desk for one of our national broadcasters. And to her credit, she said, I'm really sorry. You know I have to ring you, don't you? And that actually helped because here is a friend who behaved as a friend and as a journalist, and it actually made it easier for me to speak with her. And I said to her, I said, you're doing your job, I understand. And thank you for the way that you've expressed that. Not everybody fell into that category. I got a text message from BBC Wales I don't even know how they have my number, but it appears if the BBC have once spoken to you, your number is in the system. Nikki Campbell at Five Live sent me a message on Twitter saying, Will you come on? And I stuck true to my principles there, which is that if you're grieving, I don't think you make immediate statements if you care about that person, particularly to people that you don't really know. I later found out that David Blunkett had actually gone on Five Live that morning, which I thought was was wrong because the circumstances in which David Blunkett found himself blind and David found himself blind are completely different. But actually I'll renege on that comment because David Blunkett was somebody who was true and kind to David and often rang him. So I think that's okay. I didn't know what to do when I finally woke up Darren from broken sleep. You would have been in the air and you know, as you experienced the first time, a million thoughts and also what would you get when you landed? I was due for a meeting in London uh, with a publisher that day. And I thought the best thing that I can do is just go. And I went and I met the publisher. The publisher also happens to be a broadcaster who has a talk show. That's Ian Dale. And Ian said to me, will you come on tonight and i said no i said i won't and ian's the kind of person i would always say yes to and i stood at euston station to get the train back and i could see on the big screens you know david the story as it is to so many people And i think i bought some booze i sat down on the train and there was a guy reading the evening standard And, of course, you can tell which bit he was reading. And I kind of... I took a drink. I explained my relationship with David. And I went to one of those areas in between carriages where there's supposed to be fresh air, but, in fact, the network rail situation is so bad in England that it's almost a full carriage by itself. And I... um. I lost it at that point. So, I suppose my reaction was probably about 18 hours later, but that also happens, doesn't it? The suppression of feelings.
0: People react different ways, don't they? Like, when David was shot, I came over and and took a a role that I thought was appropriate with support and trying to put things in place for him. and, and, And again, with when, with his death, I knew I had things to do. And you, uh, you know what, Tony? I sat on that plane. I had no sleep from the time I heard David had died. We went to Debbie and Paul's house uh, before we went up to Northumbria. And there was. And well, that's in Staffordshire. Mate. Yeah, yeah. That, and there was, there was four cars parked in a end, uh, a cul de sac with reporters who took turns to come and knock on the door when we pulled up to try and speak to us. It, it, you're right. It's it's just that there's, there's a rush for people to get a response or a reaction. to, And then it starts that same cycle, doesn't it? The story, the narrative. David had already had one circle, and now this was just another narrative. And unfortunately... Yeah, your life becomes open to public view and criticism and memes and trolls and all that stuff, Um, and which I suffered from. Sure, David had bits as well.
2: You're spot on. Um, I think of all of the episodes and all the stuff that we've discussed – unlocking dormant feelings um I'm surprised at myself there with that opening monologue i did have i had no intention of necessarily saying any of that but um there you go it's a story that I've rarely told and uh, you you can see Darren that that's had an effect on me me telling it. And for those people that are fortunate to have never been in this situation, what we are doing here is bringing it all right back, all right back. And some things are very, very clear and others are a blur. So the latter... Would be the timeline from here. So I know very clearly what I did the next day. I've explained it. But after that. I don't know. I think it was. That Sunday. I. I think it was that Sunday. It might have been the Sunday after. Some of us met up in the Malmaison in Newcastle. And. We should reiterate, three funerals, and how did we get there? Can you remember the Malmaison that evening?
0: Yeah, that was myself, Angie, Debbie, Paul, you. I think Penny came a little bit later, and that was the first time I ever met Penny. And we sat and discussed what I thought was appropriate, and we had a conversation, I think, you had an input in regards to what I should do and what I shouldn't do about just taking him home. And I, I, I recall that we, the decision was made that the North East, where David worked, had a, I wouldn't say a right, but deserved to be able to pay their respects to a police officer that served their community. And you know what? In fact, the basis of that decision. I think that's what it was. I wanted to give the North East, Newcastle, uh, the decent people, the chance to show me and my family that David did made something.
2: I remember saying to you that it should be in Newcastle and I don't know why I felt so strongly about it. I, I honestly... Well, it's probably the reason that you just said there because i know that if we look at david's career and we previously discussed his attempts to get into the police that adventure to the northeast was something that that made him and i suppose if i reflect over a decade later now i've probably got my media head on and i'm thinking this guy is a hero uh this guy Needs to be in the biggest venue with the biggest audience, and that is the correct way to proceed. And as it happened, the funeral was broadcast live on on the telly and in the cathedral. Okay.
0: and you know, <laughs> you know what, Tony, the uh, uh, my thought process was doing what was right for my for my brother. And it, if you reflect on what that service was, it had very little to do with the police. Um, because David made it quite clear he didn't want that police service. And in fact, they actually didn't want to do it on that particular day and wanted me to postpone it. So they, they certainly didn't step up to any plate. It was about the people of the northeast. It was about my brother. It was about the fact that he'd been a serving police officer. And do you know what? The decent people up in the Northeast, I had a, I had a taxi driver that wouldn't let me pay him. I never met him. He said, Oh, I recognize you. You're PC Davies' ass van with your brother. Put your money in your wallet. I'm not taking your money. I said, No, you can't do that, mate. He said, No, I'm not taking it. Claire, who brought chocolates to the hotel, Peter Wallbanks, the manager who allowed us to have six of us in one room because Northumbria police wouldn't pay for the family to stay. They, they were, I think they were virtually sick over at hotel building. Nice people. And do you know what? That is the only, one of the only positive things that have come out of this. I'm still in touch with decent members of the public. Uh, Sonia Oakley, Michelle Thompson from up in the northern, who's just lost a son. Just nice people. Who've gone through trauma, who know what it is like to lose somebody and feel let let down and quite clearly let down
2: I don't really i I can't put all the pieces together of the choreography on on the day, but i I know I said I'm doing a speech. And afterwards, when I came out, somebody who is a very unpleasant person had a pop at me on Twitter saying I was doing a Charles Spencer. So obviously, (laughs) Diana's brother had some stuff to say. Well, quite rightly. I felt that in the likelihood that you wouldn't speak, and having spent so much of the last year with David and given the magnitude of the audience, I felt it was important to eyeball Northumbria police and and to remark on uh, how I saw things
0: I think the underlying thing, Tony is you and I had that compulsion to do what was right and that service that was clearly against the witches of the, remember I said the funeral liaison officer the superintendent that pleaded with us at the meeting not to have the funeral in the the cathedral who took him two days to get from wherever his headquarters were, we got from Adelaide before he turned up. Uh, And we're not sure if you were in that meeting when we had the dean of the cathedral. We asked the superintendent to go out, and I said to the the deans, can I ask, if we want this service to go ahead and the police say to you, we wish for you not to let that occur, what would your answer be? He says... And he replied, Darren, it's your your request, it's your decision, and if you want it, you have got the cathedral. So we the, uh, that was the, probably the only time I've ever smiled within the first week of my brother dying. So I called this pompous, useless superintendent back in and said, go and tell your chief constable that the service is going ahead and if you don't want to police it, that's up to you. He got up
2: and left. I think you have taken us down a path which I knew we were going to come to, but it's really important that people stop and take this in. They've listened to us discussing failings of the police. We've expressed our feelings on how people have changed their stories. We know about the care and lack of it. We know about the mess-ups. But if you want to cut someone's veins open and see their DNA, what people really think, you've got to ask yourself this question. Why were there three funerals? And the only answer to that can be because there was more than one agenda. David we have mentioned so many times, did not want a police funeral. He has sent a stage at Newcastle Cathedral. When it becomes clear to me there is going to be more than one funeral, I decide that I have to attend them all. And I'll tell you something. By the third one, which was the police funeral... I'll be honest here at the risk of criticism. I won't say I was bored. But funerals capture emotion. And you can't have three funerals and be at the final one and think this is just for show. This isn't what this guy is about. This is politics and that's how i felt i do not feel the same about the second service in staffordshire because obviously that was well intended to be private and that's on home territory and that's where david had wanted to be laid to rest but going back up to newcastle from cheshire for the third one it was all... Am I out of order, saying it was a nonsense?
0: No, Tony, uh, and you know what? I, I think when you look at... You, you're quite right. Bored is probably one of the words you could use. Insincerity is one of the words I would have used uh, because uh, it, they are supposed to be. It's a, it's an emotional time. The, the, the North East... Met, and it wasn't a funeral in the north east. It was a memorial service that I think was really well done. Speaker that talked about David's life was absolutely fantastic.
2: Uh, the and first you know funeral we're talking. The first funeral we're talking right, about it wasn't, here. It
0: wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't a funeral. It was a memorial service. It was. Uh, that's clearly what it was identified for because. My my understanding of a funeral is the fact that they get interned. David wasn't interned in the northeast, so it was never going to be a funeral. And the issue uh, that I've touched on before was Kath came out in the press and said, I I can't be there, uh, and tried to imply that it it was against her wishes or she didn't like it. it. That was complete rubbish. Kath was in London... Discussing her terms. That's the reason why Kath wasn't there. And if the, if you look at the footage, Mia and Ashley were not ostracized from their uncle Darren because you can quite clearly see me consoling them and them looking to be consoled at the Stafford funeral, which was a family open to people that grew up with him. So it become, and then it was a family private internment uh, that we obviously wanted to be um, followed. Um, the third one was Northumbria Police trying to justify their relationship with Kath, David's estranged wife, the public and putting a show on in regard to how great they were looking at them. And let me tell you that was disrespectful because David didn't want one.
2: The first service, I learned that Kath would not be there. If Darren hasn't spelt that out there, um, my understanding is that that trip to London involved Max Clifford. I also was not expecting to see Ash and Mia, but I pulled up on foot outside the Cathedral, and there was a police van there where Ash and Mia were, were waiting under the radar. And I thought that, of course, that it was correct that they were there. A couple of little details Tim Healy was in the congregation. I think that's just one of those Newcastle things. And to her credit, Victoria Derbyshire, who's the journalist who gave so much of her self and uh, her work to to David, flew from London to Newcastle on that Saturday and, and did attend. And we've talked about how journalists may not have hearts at times and how they see it as a story but I've always respected the fact that she did that and I think that's worth noting
0: I I had an interview with Victoria and I, I actually out of all the ones I did she was the one of the only ones that I actually thought there was sincerity and Compassion. Genuine.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvoderm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvoderm Voluma XC.
2: In terms of some of the other little side shows, Darren, that went on, uh, is it correct that Sue Sim, the chief, declined to pay some expenses? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: that's uh, that's well known. There's a couple of issues actually. I had a meeting with uh, Assistant Chief Constable. Uh, his name alludes me big quite a large gentleman dark hair in his office where he his response was uh, well at least you got an extra 18 months of your brother when i asked why they hadn't stopped him committing suicide I, that was his response sort of nonchalantly yeah well you got
2: a bit um, extra
0: time I nearly, uh, in fact angie held me down because i was going to punch him in his i was going to punch him in the face
2: you see, I'm I'm aware of that, but also when people talk about police forces and they talk about cover-ups and institutionalized racism and they reference things like Savile having tea parties with Yorkshire police and people talk about rotten apples and it being a culture that's rotten to the core. That comment that you make there, at least we've got an extra bit of time with your brother, this not the first time that we've heard similar comments. I think it's, to my knowledge, I think it's the third example that I have of that. We've referenced previously the chairman of the Police Federation and the comments about laborious paperwork and the comments about being better off dead, etc., etc. And look... I've bantered with the best of them but banter's out and banter has become understood now as a verbal device that actually can portray people's true feelings and there's not to stop anybody having a laugh I'm not woke but When something is said on more than one occasion and meant to be lighthearted, it deafens you, doesn't it?
0: The emergency services, black humour and banter, is a way to discharge some of those pressures that normal people don't see in their day-to-day life. And now you've got to be that careful how you express those moments of black humour that are a great way to deal with those incidents and issues that can damage you because you will get into trouble. Um, and that's... There's the other side of that. There's the, the the robes that send inappropriate messages about members of the public, victims of crime and pictures. Quite right, they should be found out and sat. They shouldn't even be in the place. But police still need to be the, the the support the support for emergency services is as we can see in David's story, and he's not the only one. He's not the first. He's not the last. Are woefully inadequate, uh, and they are not. They are not. In, they're not encouraged to seek help because they are then ostracised. They are made to feel different. And um, as you know, mental health you you know you're different because your head is telling you you can't deal with anything and then they they say to you oh go and you've got to do this you got to do that sometimes you don't even want to wake up in the morning it, it, it's it, one of the things what I would like to say about you mentioned Sue Sims about this I when I had the meeting with her I said to her um, look David's funeral uh, and expenses I I me and my partner are covering all the costs how would Northumbria you feel to giving us 500 pounds to the cover some of his expenses she adamantly straight away said no I'm not going to do that there is nothing in the budget for me to do that he did not have a police funeral so th- that was off Sue Sims the comment of well you got a bit extra and what I want to tell you as well Tony And I don't know if you had this conversation with David. This is is one of the biggest things that disrespected my brother and what he went through. David wanted to book off from his place of work. Did you have that conversation with him? Oh, yes. Now, if the listeners recall, he was at work, got shot, rushed to hospital. He never finished that shift. And he asked me to – well, he didn't ask. He, 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 the discussion was he wanted to go back to work so he could sign off from his shift. I had a conversation with a superintendent about attending uh, – is it Ethel Lane David worked?
2: Ethel Lane. I can remember it on the day, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, during the, the, few, the memorial service is going ahead. You either get on board – or you get off because we don't care. I asked if I could go to Ethel Lane, drive into the car park, walk into the station and go and a inspector, inquiry officer, I didn't give a, I didn't give a hoot if it was the cleaner. If I could just say I'm reporting for my brother, PC David Rathband, can I book him off duty, please? That superintendent's face was like I had slept with his wife. He was absolutely astounded. I had the cheek to want to go into a police station, and he refused. He said, that will not happen. You are not permitted to come on to the police premises to book your brother off.
2: So, some really excellent points there, because... What we're getting into here is the simmering, the nuance, the unhelpfulness. And throughout this entire discussion, going back to episode one, there is a wall between David and Northumbria police. Sue Sim often, David spoke of very, very fondly. Others Less so. But let's just look at some of the symbolism here. £500 towards David's funeral. Operation Bulwark, which was the hunt for Rao Moat. Don't ask me why. It was certainly Operation Bull something. Cost 1.4 million. 1.4 million. The other point that's worth mentioning here that people i don't think know is darren is asking northumbria police for a contribution david didn't have to be asked to contribute to chris brown's funeral costs and that sentimental concept of booking off your shift It's one of those things in society now where we have just become much more comfortable saying no than yes. And I'll refer to a comment that I have made several times over the years. Where is at least a plaque at the place where David was gunned down? How much would that cost? Well, the money is irrelevant. It's... Having the time and consideration to go—that's the right thing to do—and it should have been done immediately. So symbolism is not something that Northumbria Police are emotionally tuned into, and I find them—I find them lacking.
0: The thing, I, I can understand, Tony, that they have. They've got a certain um, pro they've got certain protocols and they can't do this can't do that they can't be seen uh, to be to favor one of their own I, I've mentioned before they if you're in the police force you're not favored if you if you do something wrong and you're held to account, you are put uh, usually in or in front of a kangaroo court uh, you you are subject to um hindsight assumptions a thought process that can be made in a room where you're not confronted with somebody who's been violent and aggressive and you can be found guilty if you are a crook and you are in police custody and you and you die it becomes an investigation you are referred to the independent uh, police um uh, investigations, I can't, IPOC or something, I think it's called there. The force refers itself to be investigated. I tried to refer Northumbria Police to that organisation due to the fact that they had contact with my brother and he died. It was originally accepted and then their legal department, Northumbria Police, Northumbria contacted and got it rescinded. They didn't want to be investigated and it was it was canned. So it's it's funny, isn't it? How you you said earlier about that that ability to change the narrative that Northumbria police put out. They could have been well, a lot better.
2: Two two points. You said they might not want to make an exception, the rules are the rules, but I will tell you that The trial of the accomplices was a show trial. And I'm not saying that there was anything wrong with the verdict or the evidence submitted. I'm not saying that in the slightest. But there was a sentiment all through that this was a statement trial. You do not gun down a British police officer. The second point is that... If you're trying to change that culture and accusations that continually haunt the police from institutionalised racism to cover-ups and you're trying to recruit the next generation of people that want to change the world and make it a safer place, the worst thing you can do is send out the message that you do not stand by a fallen officer. It's very simple. And if I need to go and paint that on the wall of Eatle Lane so that the message gets through, then so be it. As it happens, I'm out of paint. I'll
0: come with you. Well, I'll bring a tin because if you remember, Tony, that picture of me pulling up in the hearse outside Eatle Lane with about eight officers standing at attention with the senior officer coming up to me and stroking, Shaking my hand, that was the closest I could get to attending David's station. They said that I I argue. I said it's it's a public property. Uh, You can't stop me. He says, "Well, nobody will talk to you." So that's how I got to sign my brother off on the street to a superintendent who I said my brother probably thought you were, uh, and I won't swear. Let me tell you, he was right. I'm booking my brother off duty. I turned and got in the hearse. And, and, and that was the the, the strength of their commitment to my brother. You know what I mean? Just a simple, can I book my brother off? Didn't want it.
2: My my personal feeling and experience with the police, uh, and this is just personal, and it will be harsh to good serving police officers, some of whom are my friends, is that just sometimes they're just not quite smart enough. And that doesn't mean I want them to be too smart and cocky, but there are some very easy decisions that can be made that are sensible and appropriate and do not need to be referenced in a rule book. Straight away, as I'm saying these words, I'm thinking of Super the officer, that read out that card at the village hall meeting in Rothbury and the utter stupidity, in my opinion, that Sue Sim could sanction that meeting being in an enclosed village hall inviting members of the village. A huge risk strategy. Yes, she's sending out a message to the world on Sky News. You know, we've got this. Do not have fear. But honestly, a lone gunman Who's already done what he's done, could have taken everybody out in that building, and I just think I think it's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in policing, but there we go. The second funeral in Stafford, well, do you consider that to be the, the only one that counts?
0: No, there was two that counted: the Northumbria Memorial. that certainly was an uh, integral part of it. And I think David would have been uh, comfortable with that because I was, and we were, uh, and Stafford. Um, when I said it's time to take my brother home, that's what it was, and that's where he went. That was another part of his journey that would bring it to a conclusion. David wanted to be laid at rest. He wanted to be buried next to Naomi, and that's where he that's where he rests. That service was. Heartbreaking, but essential.
2: I don't know if any reflection had taken place, but for the record, we should be fair and state that CAF was at that. Um I think I'm correct in believing that Lisa French was also, I was told, smuggled in at the back. To be honest, Tony, I think I had members from Staffordshire Police that
0: really made me respect them more than Northumbria. Uh, We had a a guard of honour as we came off the motorway of at least 20 Staffordshire officers that met David's, well, obviously acknowledged and met David's final journey and drove us to the Chapel of Rest. We had officers... From Staffordshire that lined inside the uh, chapel. There the must have been nearly 500 people. It was full. It's really difficult, and to do it, and to there are so many emotions, and and my speech was um, sort of called out in the press that uh, a certain individual was vilified, and you know what? She was. I did vilify his wife. And I thought that was appropriate. And as also what I thought was appropriate was the fact that, or inappropriate, was the press intimated or CAF intimated that they were told that they weren't welcome. And when they got there, there was no seats for them. Well, I can categorically say their seats were reserved. There was clearly reserved on the front row. Uh, And they were welcome. Kath decided to come with a police escort for whatever reasons she thought that was appropriate. But what I will say, Tony, that funeral in Stafford nearly went ahead on the day before.
2: Why is that? For privacy? Uh,
0: No. um, David asked me, or told me, that he didn't want his wife at the funeral. So my intention was to bury him the day before i spoke to robert nichols who was quite happy to make that happen because if you remember he's, the funeral in stafford was on a saturday which is unusual and the chapel the superintendent of the chapel decided to get the painters in and spruce up the venue um which we found quite funny um And I spoke to Rob and said, look, David doesn't want to hear. I'm thinking about burying him the day before. And he said, Darren, it's up to you. If that's what you want to happen, I can make it happen. Uh, And the person who talked me out of that was Andrew. He spoke some wise words about the children, his children. And that was the only reason I changed that decision. His
2: kids. That's um, an important story. And when we explore in the very final episode the level of damage to all of this, there is also a positive that comes out of everything that we've all sort of experienced here. And that is when I'm in doubt about a situation in life and, you know, I have enemies that will say he's talking rubbish, but I can assure anybody that the measurement for what I do in doubt is try to do the right thing. And that ability to sort of look yourself in the mirror, the service was conducted by a lady called Carly Fee. I think it was a humanist service. I thought it was a beautiful service, and I asked her afterwards for her number, and I said, you're doing mine. <laughs> I've yeah. not actually told anybody that, so if anybody that cares about me is making notes, Carly Fee. Yeah. What, what, um, what was quite quite
0: nice, Tony, after that? Obviously Newcastle Cathedral quite historical there's a tradition the Dean of Newcastle Cathedral was really open for our choices or my choices in regards to doing what was right like for David um, I told him it, it could unfortunately I didn't want it religious uh, and if you recall there was only one one choir and um, and Carly was the first humanist to actually do a service in Newcastle Cathedral, and he thanked us. He said it was absolutely heartfelt and quite moving. He was quite uh, taken aback by that type of
2: service. Echo that 100 percent. she was terrific, um, and it was it was appropriate. <sighs> One other story that, I don't know if I've said this to you before, Darren, I've said it to a few close friends of mine, but in the period following David's death, I had a lot of phone calls from journalists. I was offered a significant amount of money and editorial control to do a slag job on the Rathband's marriage as it was put to me. Obviously I didn't do anything. A few days before the first funeral in Newcastle I did take a call from Sky News who I knew were going to be broadcasting it and In these sort of situations, which unfortunately have happened a little bit more often than I would like, I am very thorough to find out who's doing the piece. And a guy called Francis Maud came to my house and was very respectful. And the reason, and Darren will Say, yep, that's it. The reason that I did it was because the alternative is that there is no voice on the day. So we've talked a lot about shaping narratives, but this isn't shaping a narrative to manipulate the truth. This is about hopefully being one of the best people in the best position to say the right thing on the day of David's funeral. At the Stafford service, we were in a pub afterwards. I can't remember the name of the pub. And I saw a couple of people that were mingling a lot and very jovial. And my radar came to life. I rang the person that had offered me that money and said, you can get your reporters out of this wake now. We had a conversation about it six months later. And he said, look, I was just doing my job. And I said, I understand. But that kind of stuff goes on. And when you're in it, wow! Well, what do you do? What I do you
0: do? I think what what's upsetting about it, Tony, is, and you you've actually worked in it and been part of that that system, is when you look at what the when David was shot, it was about David, about how heroic he was. How he'd survived, how well his family were united, how much support he got. It was all positive, positive. And then it grew to the charity, the marathon, the training, the, the positive input that came additional to that first story. What, what I'd like people to actually look at is just have a look when the first comment started about david married husband who had numerous affairs but was happily married a perfect father n- no mention of that in the initial 12 months of um this happening just get just read what kathy says about her marriage about her husband about how great he was and then it changes it changes On the back of that incident we talked about where Ashley, his son, assaulted him and Kath or somebody didn't have the integrity to stand up and say, look, we're, we're struggling. We're having a bad time. It wasn't David. There's actually a story in a paper that Kath says and touches on very, very vaguely that David has never put a hand on her. She's, or it's, I've never been subjected to any, physical abuse, Uh, and I know abuse comes in varied uh, mediums, um, but the narrative changes quite clearly, Tony. And then it's all about washing my deceased brother's laundry that his wife and the press feels appropriate. That, to me, was under the belt, unwarranted, and stunk of bad press.
2: This is a grown-up version of Chinese whispers, because when a narrative gets legs, it becomes the truth several stages down the line that remains uncontested. I'll give you a very good example. I don't remember the year, but Sometime after 2000, and well, after the funerals, and the date's not relevant, I was asked to go on Daybreak ITV's breakfast programme. The presenters were Matt Barbett and Ranveer Singh. matt Barber said to me so tony isn't this really a story about the other women in david's life now this interview lasted i think two minutes and 27 seconds and that's what you get and i prepared for this interview Rigorously, I dreamt up every question that I was likely to get asked and worked out how to answer it in 10 seconds so I could get as many questions out of the way so that I could reshape the narrative. And I responded to that question by saying something like, You can find the clip online. That's a smokescreen designed to throw you off the scent of the real issues as people uh, pitch their positions for incoming litigation ahead. So, in our next episode, we will talk about exactly that. Ramveer Singh brilliantly worked out that I thought that was an appalling question. And with a lot of pathos and compassion, changed the subject in a way that was subtle. And we moved on. But why would that be the first question that you would ask me? Or in fact, perhaps it wasn't the first question. You might go in with an easy lob and then try and put the knife in. But that's how the narrative became perceived as... As a truth and it yeah. becomes unstoppable
0: and you know what Tony if you look at this, the initial start of the story it starts off with police officer blinded shot left for dead there's always a picture of that coward splattered in the same story and then it progressed into uh, hero policeman marriage fails numerous affairs beats wife uh, Mentally unstable. Uh, Let's push it. Let's, let's cause as much upset as we can. To the final story is brave police officer dead. Do you know what I mean? That is to Mm -hmm. me. That is the, it's just, it's the sad truth of life. People, people's actions have an effect on David's actions had an effect. Do you know what I mean? He stopped him in his truck. He remember, possibly remembered him. He parked on that bridge. He got shot in the face. But let me just add this as well, Tony. David was a policeman doing a thankless job, as so many others do, who was shot by a coward, who remarkably survived, who did good for other people, including, like you mentioned, paying for Chris Brown's funeral. And sought no press or any he felt like he wanted to uh, wanted to help chris Brown's family. he helped numerous other people he raised he put himself in the public eye and raised money for charity. That's the narrative of my brother it's It's not about who he might have slept with the the real narrative, if people want to look at it how how sad it was was he was. Estranged from his wife. He killed himself. She went round the day he was found dead and removed his washing machine from the house and married, remarried within nine months. A heartbreaking widow. That's the narrative that I would have put in the paper, Tony.
2: Many marriages break down. Life's tough, life's complicated we travel a lot more, we move for work, we don't value the notion of the union in the way that perhaps our parents did. It's not unusual. In fact, it's so common that it's surprising, it's still a story. So why is it a story? It's a story because we have the culture of build them up and knock them down. The truth of the matter is that in the case of Kath, she's one person in David's life, but David touched so many more lives, the numbers running into thousands, perhaps millions, and that's the legacy. He did talk about this hero status. We've obviously talked about it in the way that Moat acquired that name.
0: I've never thought I would live long never thought I'd die in the police I wanted to die but selfishly I always wanted to die Is it like a hero <laughs> in, if we could turn the clock back I think if David was given the chance of that same incident happening and the outcome I think he would have rather died in the car after that I think he would have wanted to die Uh, And that was quite clearly not what he wanted to do. And you know what? I just laughed at that, uh, hearing my brother say that. Because you know what? I've said that for nearly 30 years when I've been in the army and the police, I said exactly the same thing to me. Because that's what you're prepared to do. And you know what? You never think it's going to happen. You never, ever think. And it happens far, far too often. And David will be remembered by decent people of being that a a good bloke, a good chap, a great brother and a bloody good copper. Irrespective of his indiscrepancies, they should have been left clearly within the family environment as private if they ever occurred.
2: Well, the interest in these podcasts has been phenomenal worldwide. Um, So we'll just take this moment to thank you if you've obviously been listening or spread the word, um, hopefully this is the narrative that prevails. Just on the final word on the third funeral, since we've been speaking today, I can separate the three in terms of the images in my head. And that last service in Newcastle, the police funeral, as we may call it, I remember thinking it was cold. Not the weather, just, you know, a foie de But I also remember a lot of dignitaries who I didn't know who they were, walking towards the top of the building, shaking hands with people. And when you look out, as I did from the speaker's platform at the first service, I saw a cross section of people, but a lot of local people from the Northeast who'd done exactly what we wanted, which was to come and celebrate, come and pay respects to a man who'd fallen protecting their streets. in Stafford obviously that's mostly family and close friends but that third service struck me as being we're back to that word disconnected and I think given some of the small details that we've expressed in the telling of this story that really doesn't come as any surprise when I drove home that night back to Cheshire I don't know what I thought I suppose I probably felt that my involvement would be coming to an end but then there are still some massive Moments ahead, and one of those was one that David had always prepared me for from the day that we first spoke about his book, and that is it's time to go to court. So that's where we'll pick up on our next episode.
1: Next time. On the Rathband tapes.
2: You never know what's around the corner, do you? Whatever's meant to be, will be.
1: With thanks to series consultant Rob Jones, this is a Horny Media and Publishing Production.